This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. I'm going to ask you a sensitive question. You're the radio woman? The existence of fairies has never been a question. The answer is no. They're real. You didn't let me ask the question. Very real. So, what am I looking for? There's something going on out there at night. Woods. Anybody who started to ask questions later on was either permanently silenced or encouraged to be silent by the evidence that others were being systematically permanently silenced. What would fairies really look like? Really look like. What I'd like to know is, why did you bring her to me? Me. Would they look more like us? Spiteful, malignant, deadly, deadly. Last episode, I learned that a soccer coach in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, had allegedly overheard some of her players talking about going into the woods to recite a poem. A poem they'd found on the dark web. A poem that was supposed to summon the devil. The Night Song, The Earworm, the 57th song of the Book of Taliesin. Whatever it was, this verse was back. Fairy is a podcast production available exclusively on Spotify. From the Public Radio Alliance in Minnow Beats, Wales, you're listening to Fairy. I'm Ryan Bailey. Stay with us. When we left you last time, I'd just been threatened by the woman named Morgan. She'd called Elliot Waters using my phone, mimicked my voice exactly, and asked him to call her back. Right after that call, and a very serious threat, she left me there, shaking in my apartment. I've been calling Waters from the studio. No answer. Morgan told me that if I ever attempted to lie to her again, she'd tear me apart from the inside out. 
I don't believe that threat was false, but I also don't believe it was warranted. You see, the thing is, I don't believe I could have lied to her again, even if I wanted to. I tried, but there was something about her. I couldn't tell her anything that wasn't true. The way she asked me, I wanted to say something, to lie to protect Waters, to keep her away from him, to keep his phone number from her, but I was physically incapable of doing so. It was how I imagined hypnosis might work. Obviously, there's another component to all of this. Let's pretend that all she did was hypnotize me somehow in order to get me to provide the information she wanted. I don't believe that's possible. I've tried hypnosis in the past to quit smoking. It didn't take, not even close. But hypnosis, or whatever she'd done to me aside, along with her cryptic threats about what might happen to Elliot Waters and her not-so-cryptic threats against my life, for her big finale, she somehow managed to mimic my voice. Exactly. The next morning, while I was figuring out what to do next, I emailed that audio file of Morgan mimicking my voice to a friend of my producer, Nick Silvers. She was able to get it analyzed rather quickly. Apparently, the voice print analysis was identical. It was me. The voice expert wasn't 95% sure. He was 100%. He said that, in this case, there really was no margin for error. No possibility those words were not uttered by me. So, now what? What would you do? If your answer is break into Elliot Waters' house, then we're on the same page. Although, as it turned out, I wasn't officially actually breaking in. The door was open. Morgan had been here again. The place wasn't ransacked or anything, I just knew. The now familiar scent of milky cinnamon hung in the air. There was no sign of waters. I looked around his house. No computer. No pad of paper I could rub a pencil over to discover the impression of an address. I had nothing. I tried to get in touch with the demon, but nothing was working. Calling, texting, or Skype. My research team at the Public Radio Alliance had been doing deep research into fairy mythology in Ireland and Wales, but they had nothing that could help me with my immediate concern. Nothing that could help me find Elliot Waters. Waters' friend from the department, the man recalling Agent Cook, was nowhere to be found. He disappeared as soon as he heard the phrase, proof of portal. I've tried continually, but have so far been unable to get in touch. The mysterious Morrigan was also unavailable to me. Waters' house was tastefully furnished and comfortable, but there was really nothing in the way of personal items. Nothing I could find that would be considered a clue of any kind. I needed information. Where do you go when you need information? Maybe I did have another resource at my disposal after all. I thought about somebody my producer Nick had introduced me to a long time ago. I'd been going through something with an ex, a stalker kind of thing. 
Nick's friend helped clean up a lot of my social profiles. You can barely find me online anymore, and that's the way I like it after what I went through. I have no idea what she did to my ex, but I never heard from him again. She referred to herself as an information specialist. The last time I saw her, she'd written a number on a card. It read, in case of emergencies. I really felt like this qualified. Is this a good time? What's up? It's Ryan. Yeah, I know. Oh. Yeah. So, I need your help with something. I didn't know who else to call. What do you got? I need to find somebody. Okay, name? Elliot Waters. The guy on your podcast? Yeah. You listen? Yeah, I love that shit. Thanks. Was this guy recently in England? Yes. Bath. Got it. What are you doing? It's technical. Oh. But what I'm doing is allowing me to view large portions of his Google history. Really? Oh, really? There's a whole lot of stuff you might be interested in here. You want me to clone his account? That would be invasive, I think. No shit. I'm really just interested in finding him. Copy that. Just a sec. Uh, I'll call you back. She called back about 10 minutes later. Okay, I got something. What is it? Google Voice. He set up a meeting. With who? With some high school girls in Idaho. Where? Mm, didn't get where, but I'm working on it as we speak. I got when. When? Tonight, 7 p.m. Looks like he's using Waze. Oh, it also looks like he ditched his phone, so we can't try and track him that way. You can do that? Not me, but I know somebody. Wow. It's not that hard. Would it help if I sent you a screenshot of his last few search destinations? Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. Anything else? Um, no. That's amazing. Thanks. You got it. That was MK, or Mere Catnip. Like I mentioned, she refers to herself as an information specialist, but, I mean, essentially she's an extremely gifted hacker. You can hear a lot more from her on the Tannis and the Last Movie podcasts. I took a look at the screen capture that MK provided. The last place Elliot Waters had searched was a gas station, just outside Hayden, Idaho. It was just over four hours by car, I had six and a half hours to get there. I wanted to fly and rent a car, but that wouldn't put me in town until just before seven. I decided to drive. I had my producers reaching out to motels, hotels, and Airbnb rentals in the area. They've been unable to find the girls from the soccer team. I'm recording this part of my narration on the road. I'm here in Idaho getting ready. I made it to the gas station by 6.30. I asked the clerk if he'd seen the girls. Yeah, I seen them about a half hour back. Did they say anything where they were going? They said a lot. Didn't stop saying stuff, a lot of talking. Do you remember anything specific? Of course, I told them where to go. What do you mean? They were looking for the stone post. The stone post, what's that? At this point, he led me over to a bunch of maps and books. He picked up one particular book. It was black, plain, leather-bound. 
He opened the book to one specific page and handed it to me. What's this? That's 2750. Okay, no problem. Be careful. What do you mean? I mean, you might not ever come back. I'm kidding, it's all bullshit. There's no such thing as the Devil's Highway. The Devil's Highway? That's what the girls were looking for? That's right. Stone Post is the first marker. Just follow the map. Thanks. You're welcome. Just follow the map. I had no idea exactly how far I had to go. There were no real numbers as far as miles or yards or feet, just landmarks. The girls were about half an hour ahead of me. I thought I'd better hurry. The book was called The Malacetic Atlas. I referenced it in an earlier episode of this show. If you'd like to learn more about it, you should listen to Tannis and the last movie. The Malacetic Atlas is a strange guidebook, similar to a couple of books our executive producer, Terry Miles, had growing up. The Necronomicon, and a book by Jerry D. Coleman called Exploring the Darker Side of America, a guidebook to American mysteries and the unexplained. This entry was called The Devil's Highway, which felt a bit inaccurate. The road referenced here was a very small section of unpaved, or mostly unpaved road in the middle of the woods. There was no apparent reason for the road, no real connection or proper roadway out on either side. It was basically a small section of road in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere. There wasn't much in the book on the Devil's Highway itself, just a map including a few waypoints, the stone post, the highway, and a path to a small clearing where you're supposed to find the fairy ring. from the Malacetic Atlas. These roads to nowhere appear more often than you think. Sometimes they're very short, 10 or 12 feet. Sometimes they're longer. They're always a strange small section of unconnected road where there should be none. You'll find them in forests or swamps, and in one case, in the middle of the desert. These places have power. If you come across one, you might be looking at nothing more than a construction anomaly, a perfectly harmless bit of dirt or asphalt. But there is another possibility. You could be looking at something completely different, something unexplainable, something that touches another place, a darker place. Nobody who has ever stepped over and across one of these particular sections of roads in the middle of nowhere has ever returned. Or, at least, they've never returned quite the same. It's possible that the Devil's Highway in northern Idaho is one of these such roads. There are countless stories of people who have died or disappeared who've committed suicide or worse. All you have to do is dig a little, and you'll uncover these stories of old half-roads to nowhere, tales of the horrific price people have paid for their curiosity. If you should come across one of these roads, run in the opposite direction, and whatever you do, 
do not, under any circumstances, look back. For if you do, you will be looking into another place. And if there's somebody looking back, they might see you. And if they do, they will follow you. They will remain with you, haunting and cursing your life forever. But there are worse things than looking back. If you walk forward across the road, entering one end and walking across and over the other, you'll discover something very few have ever encountered. For these roads to nowhere are not for us. These roads are for them, for the others. If the road is active on the other side, you'll be stepping into a world that isn't meant for you. You'll be stepping into the void. And there you'll be stuck wandering forever, never able to find your way back, never again experiencing a moment of peace. I'd heard fictional tales of weird doors or stairs in the woods before. And, of course, there was the suicide forest in Japan and the myth of Tanis. But there was something about this presentation, here in the Malacetic Atlas. Here, the possibility felt, well, it felt absolutely real. So I set off into the woods, a burner phone I'd purchased along the way in one hand the Malacetic Atlas and the other. I texted my location to my producers. They were definitely not going to like the idea that I was doing this alone. But even though I was heading into the forest, I was still in the middle of civilization. Nothing about this felt dangerous. That is, until I actually entered those woods. I passed the stone post about 10 minutes into the forest. It was getting dark, the sun, nothing more than a thin sliver on the horizon. Five or 10 minutes later, I met the three girls from the soccer team. Are you girls okay? We're fine. What happened? That guy gave us $300 for the book and told us to go home. He said we had to delete everything about it from our phones and email too. What guy? but I knew which guy. They described Elliot Waters perfectly. They told me that he'd met them just as they were about to cross a small bit of road in the middle of nowhere. I found that small section of road about 10 minutes later. I'm standing in the woods facing a small bit of asphalt. There's just enough moonlight to illuminate most of the area. It's about nine or 10 feet wide and it's old. It's partially asphalt but the rest is dirt and rock, cracked and worn with weeds, grass, and moss covering at least 30% of its surface. I can see a path on the other side of the road. If the map inside the Malacetic Atlas is accurate, about a half mile up that path, there's a small clearing, and in that clearing is a circle of stones 
called a fairy ring. That's where the girls are going to read the earworm. I'd like to tell you that I crossed that bit of road and entered another world. But that didn't happen. I went around. I found Elliot Waters about 15 minutes later. He was shirtless and covered from his head to his waist in strange symbols. They looked kind of Celtic, but different. He was kneeling, his arms held high in the air, just outside a circle of large gray stones. On the ground in front of him was a small stone altar. On the altar was what appeared to be a stone bowl. Some combination of grass, wood, and sage, or something similar, were burning. The scent filled the clearing. It wasn't unpleasant. It was kind of like cedar and something else, some kind of dusty spice, clove or nutmeg maybe. Elliot Waters began reciting something, something I believe was the 57th poem from the Book of Taliesin. It sounded like it had been written in some kind of Gaelic language. Elliot? What are you doing here? You can't be here, you have to leave. Are you okay? I'm fine. You need to stop. You really have to go, now. I'm not leaving. The door, it's about to open. I need you to come with me. That's not possible. You're not well. I know about your suicide attempt. I know that you're conflicted. Please, you have to come with me. You don't understand. Okay, fine, help me understand. There isn't time. I'm not going anywhere. I had suicidal thoughts, briefly, but my wife and daughter had just died. It was my fault. Surely you can understand it was difficult. Now please, run. You didn't have suicidal thoughts. You tried to kill yourself. If I really wanted to kill myself, I would have succeeded. You know that's the truth. What's that sound? It's almost time. Get away from here, now. Almost time for what? The gate. What are you doing, Elliot, son of Tan Lin? I'm acting as protector, per the Covenant. There's been a convergence in the Fade. The old gods are too close. I have to do this. If you open that gate, the ones who feed will wake. And they will come. They will come home. I'm sorry, Morrigan of the Fade. At that moment, something happened. An ear-piercing sound. Everything was shaking in my head. My eyes blurry. Morgan lunged forward. And Elliot Waters stepped into the fairy ring and disappeared. At least, I think he disappeared. There was a flash of light and I was thrown back by something. I woke up alone in the forest. There was no sign of Elliot Waters or Morrigan. Then I passed out again. When I woke up the next time, I was nowhere near the forest. I was in a windowless room somewhere. There was a man and a woman sitting across from me. 
After a brief interview where they had explained what had happened and had me sign a waiver, they told me that I could begin recording if I wanted. They handed me my voice recorder and I pressed record. Where's Elliot Waters? I'm not sure. We're looking into his disappearance. Who are you? I work for the government. For the department? The organization you've been describing on your podcast as the department doesn't exist. What do you mean? I mean, there was or is no conspiracy. Fairies? Magic portals? Elliot Waters worked for us, looking into occult societies and ancient orders. He was let go shortly after his attempted suicide. He's been jailed and hospitalized a number of times. We've always done our best to support him throughout his ordeals, but it's been difficult. You understand? What about Agent Cook? Who? I'm sorry, Agent I'm not familiar with that name. Is this the person you're referring to? That's him. This is Quentin Collins. He works with Elliot Waters. Since they were let go from our organization years ago, the two of them have been selling artifacts on what you might describe as a black market of sorts. What do you mean? You recently accompanied Waters to Bath, is that correct? Yes. Take a look at this. She showed me a photograph of Waters in an auction house shaking hands with somebody. Then another photo of him being passed a briefcase. Then a photo of Waters and Agent Cook leaving together. That doesn't prove anything. That could have been taken anywhere, anytime. Maybe, but it wasn't. It was taken on your recent trip to Bath. There's more. What is this? Toxicology report. What? Psilocybin, psilocin, DMT, and myristicin. How did you get Waters' toxicology report? I thought he was missing. It's not Waters' toxicology report. No? No. It's yours. Yeah, crazy. Two of those drugs are found in magic mushrooms. DMT is found in a few other things. And the last one, myristicin, was found in nutmeg. Those agents told me that Waters had been burning some extremely powerful psychedelics in that stone bowl. Their chemical analysis indicated that if I'd inhaled enough of whatever he'd been burning, it's highly likely that I would have experienced at least some kind of psychotropic effects. They let me go. I had to sign a couple of forms and promise not to leave the country for a month, but that was it. I stepped out of their office in downtown Seattle and my car was waiting for me. It took me a while to get my bearings. I had no memory of the car ride back home to Seattle or to this interview location. I know that I definitely didn't drive. I wasn't going to let them get away without answering my questions, but I was tired. I could barely stand or stay awake. I'd come back tomorrow. I needed to go home, eat something, take a bath, and go to bed. I'm not exactly sure when I understood what was coming, 
It was definitely some time before the elevator doors opened, before I turned the corner and approached my apartment door. Of course, I smelled her before I saw her. Hello, Morgan. I'm surprised you survived. You should be dead. Where's Elliot Waters? You know where he is. I'm recording. I know. Do I have your permission? You'll know when you listen back. It's for legal purposes. Fine. Yes, you have my permission. Waters made a selfish and extremely dangerous decision. What do you mean? He risked everything for selfish reasons. You believe he entered the Fade? Did those people you were speaking with ask you to contact them if Waters got in touch with you? No. Why do you suppose that is? Because they know where he is? Yes. So does that mean... Do you believe he got his proof? The Spriggan is back. She turned herself in, so to speak. The department? Reopened. You met with some of them this morning. They were department? They were. They told me the department didn't exist. That what I believe I saw didn't really happen. That I was drugged. And you believe them? I don't know what to believe, but if it was real, what Waters did for those girls from the soccer team and for April, those were good things, the right things to do. Is that what you believe? Yes. Elliot Waters didn't go back to save those girls from the night song, or for the Spriggan, or the Corrigan. So, why do you think he went back? I know why he went back. Why? He went back for his wife and daughter. I thought they died in a fire. Things aren't always what they seem. And was he successful? Did he find them? No. They're gone. Forever. Something I've told him many, many times. But he would never believe me. He believes me now. What's going to happen to him in the Fade? You should be more concerned about what's going to happen to you, to all of you here in this world. What do you mean? What he did didn't go unnoticed. What are you talking about? What Waters did was shine a light in a dark corner long forgotten. Imagine there's something old and ancient at the bottom of a deep lake. Something that's been asleep for a very long time. Now, when this thing wakes up, it's going to be very, very hungry. Now it's awake, and the first thing it sees with its cold, ancient eye is a light, a shiny, flickering, dangling light coming from way up on the surface of the lake. Okay. That light was Elliot Waters opening his gate. Now, imagine there are more eyes opening. Dozens, 
hundreds more, and they're all seeing it. That spark of life, that tiny light. The ones who feed are coming, and they're hungry. And once they get here, they're never going to stop feeding. You've been listening to Fairy. I'm Ryan Bailey. Fairy is a podcast production available exclusively on Spotify. Fairy is produced by Terry Miles, produced, mixed, and edited by Nick Silver and me. Ryan Bailey. Associate Producers Carlene Bennett and David James. Executive Producers Terry Miles and Hollis Adams Lane. If you enjoy Fairy, you'll love our other shows, Tannis and Rabbits, at tannispodcast.com and rabbitspodcast.com. For legal and safety reasons, we've elected to change some names and leave others out entirely. We don't do this very often, but we're unwilling to compromise people's safety for any reason. Thanks again for listening to Fairy.